It's time for the What in the Podcast. When we first started the podcast for the podcast trailer, I made a joke about Bigfoot raiding your garbage can. Well, tonight we finally got around to him. We're going to talk about Bigfoot. Or Sasquatch, or Yeti, or Yowie. Tracy and I are going to tell several stories concerning Bigfoot, and a few about the hunters who were involved in trying to make themselves famous by capturing one, either on camera or live. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 61 of What in the Podcast. Welcome to the What in the Podcast with your hosts, Kent Whittington and Adriatic Mito and Tracy Lynn Hernandez. Hello and welcome to the What in the Podcast. I'm your host, Kent Whittington. Along with me is my co-hostess, Tracy Lynn Hernandez. Hi, Tracy. <laughs> your voice sounds a little different tonight. Yes, I have gone through phase one of save my smile. Okay, get a smile. <laughs> But still. Get a smile works as well <laughs> as, as uh, you know, save it. <laughs> you want both, I'm sure. I do, I do. So, also I should point out tonight that Adriana is not with us. She has uh, got a stomach bug or something, and so she's upstairs resting with the dog, so we won't be hearing much from them either tonight. In theory. In theory. <laughs> <laughs> but they're Pomeranians, and they like to make noise. Yes, they do. Because, it'll dog! Little dog, little dog, make a lot of noise. The smaller the dog, the more noise they want to make. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we actually had set up tonight uh, as an interview with a guest who is a Sasquatch explorer. He's been doing it for 40 years. Uh, He's from Mississippi, where there apparently have been a lot of Bigfoot sightings recently. The only problem is I couldn't get a hold of him. Missed connections. Yep. Gave him the time that we were going to meet up, called him, phone just rang and rang. So we had to scrabble and skip that and do something else. We're still going to do Bigfoot tonight. Yes. But instead what we're going to do is we're going to talk about 10 of the, uh, what do we call it here? Top 10 Bigfoot sightings the last five years. Top 10 Bigfoot sightings the last five years. Okay. Uh, this is directly from Animal Planet, um, so you can go check out their webpage on it, but we're just going to run down the list and tell you all about them. Tracy, would you like to start us off tonight? Sure. Okay. Pardon my slur. <laughs> <laughs> we assume Bigfoot crossed the road to get the other side, as the old joke goes. But the enigmatic, there you go, hominid, nobody knows for sure. Here's what we do know. On June 22nd, 2009... At around 6.30 p.m., a 19-year-old college student was driving on a curvy black back road near Rhinebeck, New York, on the way to a rehearsal at a nearby performing arts center, according to the BFRO report. As he swerved from missing objects in the road, a shopping bag containing oddly an open cereal box and a small log, he glanced in his rearview mirror and saw something or someone darting behind his car, apparently to retrieve the bag. 
came a moment later, the student stopped and turned his car around. He got a three or four second glimpse of something walking on with two feet, about 50 feet, 15.24 meters away. He described the creature, which he saw from the rear end side profile, as being between seven and seven and a half feet tall, 2.1 to 2.2 meters, covered in black hair, possessing a broad muscular shoulders with arms that swung in exaggerated fashion, and palms that faced upwards. The witness recalled he felt nervous, confused, and excited all at the same time during his brief encounter. Spooky. Spooky. Yeah. <laughs> I dropped my bed and go back for it. I need my log and my cereal. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let me tell the next one then. At about 1.30 in the morning of January 8th, 2008, a big rig driver was hauling a load of Idaho potatoes to US-115 near the town of Scorpio, just outside of St. George, Utah. As he downshifted and headed down an incline, the fog grew increasingly heavy. The driver noticed something by the side of the road with glowing eyes and thought it might be a deer. When he switched on his high beams, he was startled to see a gigantic creature running across the road from left to right in long strides just 20 feet or 6 meters or so away, according an interview with a, F, with a BFRO investigator. Uh, he later estimated, based on a comparison to his truck and factoring in the distance, that the creature was at least 8 to 10 feet or 2.4 to 3 meters tall and between 600 to 800 or 272 to 362 kilograms versus pounds, sorry, in weight, it had black hair and big eyebrows, and long, lanky arms that were proportionally longer than humans. For a moment, it turned its head and stared rapidly at the approaching truck. The driver swerved hard to the middle of the freeway to avoid hitting the creature, which nearly caused the truck to crash. Fortunately, he regained control of the vehicle, but when he managed to roll to a stop 200 to 300 yards, or 183 to 247 meters away, and looked back, the mysterious figure was gone. The driver, an avid outdoorsman and hunter, told the BFRO investigator that he'd always been skeptical about the existence of Bigfoot, but after actually seeing one in the flesh, he changed his opinion. His quote, it scared the hell out of me. I would. Yeah, I'd be a little scared too. <laughs> Even if it wasn't Bigfoot, if it was a man sitting in the middle of the road, I'd be a little freaked out and just probably, little probably little swerved little. that rig too. Yeah, just a little, you yeah. know. <laughs> if nothing else, yeah. So, you want to tell the next one? Sure. Okay. Although, looking at these, I'm thinking that this is more like 15 years ago, not five years. Most of them, yeah, roughly. <laughs> that. It's hard to find current ones. It is. If. I'm sure they're out there. Probably just I'll probably just have to do a little search when we take our break. And... We will have fun and describe and, and, and delve into holes because that's what we do. Yep been a while since we actually had to research anything though i'll admit <laughs> since we started the new season we've been interview after you after interview and it's great uh it's less work for me <laughs> except for the actual finding of the interviewee but you know but it's you know so we you know. this it's okay to go back to basics every once in a while too so anyway yeah go ahead and tell the next one okay so the next one is it was about a quarter past six in the morning of september 1st 2009 a woman commuting to a job in Rifle, Colorado. Yes, Rifle. Yep, Colorado rifle. was feeling a little groggy on her way to work, despite her usual cup of takeout coffee. She started up through Independence Pass. She decided to pull her truck over the side of the road and get a, a little fresh air. 
As she got out of the truck, she noticed something moving in the middle of her feet ahead of her. At first, she thought it might be a bear. But when the creature stood up, she saw its arms hung to its sides like a person. The creature was huge. It had cinnamon-colored fur. She told, BFRO, told a BFRO investigator. And after some coaxing on the part of the investigator, she also revealed that it had an additional anatomical feature, a very large pair of breasts. Prior to the encounter, the witness admitted she'd always, been, she'd always poo-pooed the possibility of such creatures existing, but said, my life is forever changed. I would imagine. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> Saw a hairy beast. Yeah, of course my life has changed. <laughs> it was up close and personal. Okay, up, up a little too up close from the sound of it. <laughs> she could tell what, what, what uh, sex the creature was, mm-hmm. so yeah. <clears throat> So anyway, at around dusk on August 29th, 2011, a woman was outside her new house with a litter of whippet puppies who were going potty when she heard a whistling sound, the sort that she makes when she's trying to get the attention of her dogs. Thinking that it might be another of her pets, a parrot, she did a few back and forth whistles with the source. Then one of her adult dogs, an Australian shepherd, woofed and she heard a loud rustle in the forest nearby. She looked up to see a tall, hairy creature. It was an estimated 8 to 9 feet. There we go with the measurements again. Mm-hmm. 2.4 to 2.7 meters tall. And when it saw her, it let go of the tree branch it was holding down with its arm and stepped back into the trees. The BFRO investigator who interviewed the witness noted that she was a former deer hunter and experienced in the outdoors, and thus unlikely to have mistaken the creature for another large animal. I'm sure that a Bigfoot's curiosity would be heightened by a new woman living in a previously unoccupied house and a litter full of whippet puppies, she concluded. Or he concluded, sorry. Okay. If, if you have a litter full of puppies, doesn't matter the breed, a formerly empty house, you whistle, it whistles, you whistle, okay, you have communication going on, but you also have snack. <laughs> You also have puppies with their heads going back and forth with all uh-huh. the whistling. <laughs> I would imagine. On October 23rd, 2010, about 7.15 a.m., a deer hunter parked his all-terrain vehicle on a trail and quietly slipped into the still darkened dark woods. He hoped to make, to make it to his favorite clearing without spooking any deer in the area. As he was walking, he noticed a very large animal walking about 10 yards ahead of him on the trail. Oddly, while it didn't appear to be running, the animal seemed to cover about 15, 20 feet, four and a half to, five, to six meters, in just two strides, with no noticeable noises. The hunter clicked on his flashlight, but I saw it made my hair sound and he wrote in the report. Pardon me. The creature was between seven and seven and a half feet tall, 2.1 to 2.2 meters, and he estimated to weigh about 500 pounds or 226 kilograms. It was muscular, covered in dark fur with long arms and slightly hunched posture. I've seen a few bears, and no positively this was not a bear, he explained in the report. The creature quickly moved out, moved down the hillside and was gone after a few seconds. They all happened so quickly they never thought to use the digital camera he had with him. We used to think that Sasquatch couldn't exist because there would be tons of pictures he made. Now I see why it isn't true. <laughs> yeah, I imagine, you know, you see it, you've got the camera, but you're so dumbfounded by what mm-hmm. you see you don't have the presence of mind to actually lift the camera and take the picture. Mm-hmm. So how do other people do it? Because I have seen pictures of Sasquatch. Well, first off, you have to not be stunned 1D4 rounds. 
true. <laughs> you have to not have that shock and awe. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, I imagine a lot of these pictures I've taken are taken as Bigfoot in the distance too. Mm -hmm. So you know, if you're, if you're seeing it from the distance, maybe it's a little easier to pick up that camera and take a look. But when he's closer, say more you know, more, more of you know at that distance where he could actually attack. Do yeah, do you harm? <laughs> you're probably not going to be doing a lot of moving. Yeah, I know. So let me go to the next one. Uh, in the swamps of Florida, Bigfoot is known by a different name, the skunk ape, an apparent reference to the appalling smell that the creature supposedly exudes, according to the BBC. This stinky creature may have been spotted on a May morning in 2011. According to the report on the BFRO website, a fishing guide was using a pole to propel a flatboat in a mangrove swamp when he and his two clients, a commercial pilot and an attorney, spotted something on the shore about 100 yards away. At first, the guide thought the creature might be a feral hog or possibly a bear. But as the boat got closer, the creature, which apparently had been rooting through the sand for fish and crustaceans to eat, turned and stood up to look at them. Here we go. The guide estimated the apparent skunk ape was as wide as a side-by-side -side refrigerator, I'm sorry, side-by-side -side refrigerator freezer, with a muscular torso, a ZZ top beard, and a hairless forehead. Sounds like it's ZZ top nowadays. Oh, one of them. <laughs> yep. The creature stared at them for about 15 seconds and then made a guttural harumph, or snort, and walked away into the mangroves. Probably like... <laughs> You're not. You're not gonna deal with me. I'm just gonna walk off. I and was you're just eating gonna... my food. Yeah. <laughs> and then you showed up. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> um, how about this one? In July 2009, a worker was returning home from a deck building job at 6 p.m. As he drove through a wooded, wooded area near houses and a school, he noticed what first appeared to be a man standing inside the road. As his car got closer, however, the man suddenly bolted into the woods, like a wild animal spooked by human presence. Driver slowed down and watched the creature run about 30 yards, then make a turn, which enabled driver to, see, to get a better look at him. Unlike other reports that depict Bigfoot as gigantic, driver reported the creature was about 6 feet, 1.8 meters, about 200 pounds, 90 kilograms. So the creature was covered in shaggy, rust-colored fur and ran with a strange, hoppy, bounding motion. Is it real? But there was a man in a very, very convincing costume. He reported. Hmm. Okay. He he bound with a hoppy motion. Bouncy, 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 bouncy. Yes. That's one I I don't think I've heard. I've seen them. I I've seen them in videos. There's a rolly. Kind of lumbering around. Well, he said it's a smaller one too, so this could be a juvenile. Could be a juvenile. Huh? And most kids, you spook them, they bounce. They don't just run, they bounce. It's true. <laughs> I gotta admit that. So anyway, on October 25th, 2010, a man was watching a movie at about 1 a.m. when he heard a noise outside his house that sounded like a long blast from a car horn or a police siren. He hit the mute on his TV and realized that the sound was more like the howl of an injured animal. He assumed that it was a bear or a mountain lion understandable. Mm -hmm. uh, the next evening, a friend came to pick him up to drive to a casino at about 8 p.m. This guy's living the life. 
The two men had driven about four miles or 6.4 kilometers when they both heard the noise once again. So he's four miles away from his house and mm -hmm. hearing the noise again. So what's the range, I wonder? Well, moose can be heard for a very, very long way. True. So can coyotes. Yes. Uh, we have them out here. Depending on, on, on your acoustical situation. Well, I can hear them at least a mile off, usually, you know, yep. in most cases, because I know where some of the dens are. So if I hear them, uh, they're, you know, if they're just starting to starting their bit out, mm -hmm. they're just coming out of the den, so I know where they're at. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and, and lions in the jungle can be heard for miles. Mm -hmm. So it could be any sort of animal. They slowed down, and the noise stopped. They resumed driving, but then suddenly had to swerve to avoid a car ahead of them that had abruptly stopped. It was then that the two gamblers spotted what appeared to be a man-like creature at least 10 feet or 3 meters tall, covered in dark brown or black hair with eyes that glowed from the reflection of their headlights. Human eyes don't do that, the witness explained in his report. After 20 to 30 seconds, the creature walked off with a fluid gait that definitely was non-human, and the two men quickly drove off in fear. They came home that evening by a different route to avoid another encounter. The witness now describes himself as a true believer in Bigfoot, but added, if it's Bigfoot or not, I don't want it coming around my house. <laughs> well, he's okay. It's about four miles from his house. That's still awful close. <laughs> that is still close, yes. <laughs> That's within stomping range, I'd say. Or screaming range. Meeting distance. Mm-hmm. So we're learning here that Bigfoot shows up in many uh, sizes, shapes, and colors. So well, anywhere from rust to black. So mm -hmm. yeah, different sizes, bopping around, lumbering, whatever. Yep. Let's see here. How and, and I'm just stretching. So okay, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, between 8:39 p.m. on the evening of September 8, 2007. A local law enforcement officer was starting to answer an alarm call on a ranch. Come one, coming out of the ravine on the roadside. I thought it might, I might have surprised someone who might be growing marijuana in the woods or something like that, said the officer. But when he hit the brakes and quickly backed up, the headlights only what he described as a creature about six to seven feet, six to seven feet tall, 1.8 to 2.1 meters, covered with thick brown matted fur and walking upright. Had leaves and grass matted in the fur at its back, as if it had been laying down, was moving slowly. The creature turned away from me. So I turned away from the officer and returned to the overgrowth, pushing aside small tree limbs to clear its path. It was visible for only a few seconds, but he could hear the crunching noise of its movements for a bit longer. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, the officer wrote. It was definitely something I was going to have to put on the radio, or was not going to put on the radio. Yeah. Car 54, what's your location? I'm over on the back 40. What do you got to report? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I think nothing. Nothing. So anyway, you'd think that a feral ape-like creature would tread lightly around humans who are equipped to respond to a sighting with a hail of bullets. Surprisingly, though, Bigfoot seems oblivious to our puny human weaponry, as a Blackstone, Virginia man and his son discovered in the early morning hours of May 3, 2011. When the two heard a loud noise outside their home, the man grabbed his pistol and the son picked up a shotgun, and they went outside to investigate, figuring that they would encounter either a burglar or a bear. 
Instead, the men reported that they were confronted by an eight-foot-tall, hair-covered humanoid creature running toward them from the nearby woods. The man screamed at the creature to stop and told his son to shoot, which he did, into the air. Okay, that's going to work. The creature shrieked. Oh, I guess it did work but continued running toward them, getting to within 15 feet before the pair retreated back into their house. I was in terror, the man wrote. He recalled that the Bigfoot had a pervasive odor that really stunk and left footprints that were 18 to 20 inches or 45.7 to 50.8 centimeters long. An investigator who visited the man's farm and interviewed him documented a series of other unusual incidents, including loud wails and slaps on the side of the house at night, suggesting the Bigfoot had paid him repeat visits. Yeah, yeah. that's possible. I mean, I've heard stories where they, where they beat on walls, stomp on roofs, mm -hmm. throw rocks, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, it's entirely possible. You shot at me, I'm going to, you know, stay back at you. <laughs> Because, yeah. Yep. Go spank. <laughs> so I found here from, um, I just lost the date on it. <laughs> is there a Bigfoot population name? This is from July 26th of this year. And it is Michelle Solaire's Solieri shares more than 20 eyewitness accounts with her Bigfoot in her book, Bigfoot and Maine. Portland, Maine. Stories have been collected over the years about mysterious creatures roaming the woods from Virginia to Canada. Tall creatures covered in fur or hair dodging any good camera angles. Turns out Maine's also a hotspot for Bigfoot sightings, which may be documented through interviews in Michelle Sorrell's Sorrell's Bigfoot in Maine. Na 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 na. Take away your teeth and then try to say something. It's almost French like. <clears throat> well, we will hold it against you. <laughs> the author about some of these experiences and why these settings seem to be more than just folklore. Other people in Maine who might encounter something inexplicable can read these and other accounts say, Okay, that's kind of interesting. It's a little similar to what I've encountered, but I'm not the only one who's going through this and, and had their brain melted by encountering something that doesn't fit anything that's supposed to be here, like large mammals. When I talk to eyewitnesses, those are the ones who I find the most interesting is a person had no idea anything like this was around and ran across it regardless of, of and regardless and had found it undeniable. Solier interviewed Maine people sorry, Solier interviewed Maine people over the span of twelve years working with false stories and in their lines. They probably argued with themselves out in their heads about a thousand times and they came up with the same answer. I saw something, it wasn't supposed to exist and I had to find a way to accept it and move on with my life. Is Maine a hotspot for Bigfoot? She believes that, the, that the, the canopy of trees and underbrush explains it perfectly, along with access to water sources throughout the, the state, making it a great landscape for other living creatures. So when you're, when you're out in southern Maine and you don't think people realize how vast the stretches of wilderness would go, once you get from the, to logging roads, the golden road, there's nothing up there. You trees and whatever animals are in the woods, a forbidding wilderness state, right to the right forms of life, is very friendly. Based on the conversations she's had, she believes the population of Bigfoot in Maine, you'll have to read the book to, to make your own conclusions though. So, um... What was the book called again? It is Bigfoot in Maine. Okay. 
and she actually runs her own store, the Green Hand Bookshop in Portland, Maine. We need a signed copy of it. Very cool. Might have to hit her up. <laughs> or, or you can actually specifically order a signed copy online from her as well. It's okay. Either way, it's like I said, hit her up. Yep. So anyway, I've got a story about a school teacher who is a Bigfoot hunter. Uh, by day, Jim Sherman deals in facts as a Birmingham Groves High School history teacher. But in his free time, he hunts the elusive, some would say mythical, creature known as Bigfoot. Sherman, who's 50, has followed his quest, which often takes him into the forest of the Upper Peninsula. For more than three decades now, he's taking it to the next level with Bigfoot Hunters, which is a Roku video blog channel. If you're weird and interested in looking into things that aren't supposed to be out there, other people's experiences and, sorry, crazy things in the woods that aren't supposed to happen, this is where to look, Sherman said of the channel, with current, which currently has five video compilations. I try to apply as much science to the research as possible. I like to analyze the data and am really skeptical and will throw in random Bigfoot experiences. The path that led to an extraordinary obsession with Sasquatch began when Sherman was still in fourth grade. He was fascinated by not only the idea of Bigfoot, but anything scary or supernatural, including ghosts, the Loch Ness Monster, and UFOs, and after my own heart. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is, it's cool and exciting when you're young, and then you let it go, Sherman said. I stopped paying attention because, number one, I grew up and thought, I should probably go to college. He set aside the childhood fantasies, matured, and did indeed go off to college. But not far into his higher education, he had an experience he couldn't explain while camping with his father in the Upper Peninsula. Over the course of three nights, he heard sounds outside the tent of something he identified as big bipedal walking on two legs. Having grown up hunting, Sherman said he knew the sounds of critters normally found in the woods and knows that deer can also sound bipedal, but this was different. From inside the tent, Sherman heard things being thrown about outside, and the creature even touched the tent. When he reached up to swat it away, Sherman thought he'd be hitting a bear snout, but instead felt what described as a really big hand which pressed against the side of the tent. Ain't no bear, okay. It made a harumph noise, and then it walked away, Sherman said. A bear would have run off like a freight train, but this walked away. I never looked out. I was scared to death imagine. Sherman said the logical person in him knew it was not a bear, which without opposable thumbs would not throw objects. He reasoned that it had to be a person, but wondered why would someone mess with his tent and throw things. The mystery continued the next night, getting even stranger. While whatever it was never approached as close to the tent as it did the previous night, it commenced to shaking trees. Sherman said making an un an unbelievable noise. By the third night of this, Sherman told his dad they had to go. It so freaked me out that I was uncomfortable hunting. I couldn't hunt anymore, he said. I was just afraid of the woods. For a dozen years after, Sherman avoided secluded forests where legend has it Bigfoot lurks. But when he was about 30, he decided to face his fears and embrace his natural curiosity. He did that by research, seeking others who had similar experiences. He also joined the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, or the BFR, like we've been talking about, mm -hmm. uh, which was founded in 1995 and whose members have a mission to resolve the mystery surrounding the Bigfoot phenomenon, 
That is to derive conclusive documentation of the species existence, which is done through seeking the large primates in forested regions. According to the group's website, numerous spottings have occurred and are mapped in locations across North America. Sherman has been leading expeditions in search of Bigfoot, or Big Feet as he observes there is multiple in the species, for the past decade and is absolutely hooked. The expeditions feature all the things he normally enjoys, hiking, camping, stories around the campfire, and research. Once you get the Bigfoot bug, it's hard to get rid of it, because it is exciting, he said. There's so much weirdness out there. As an investigator, Sherman is a contact person for others who have claimed Bigfoot sightings. In his conversations with them, he said he first must verify they aren't a lunatic. Makes good sense there. Mm -hmm. Which has ended some conversations early, including those purporting to have seen unicorns. I guess it happens. Sherman says as a high school history teacher, he has a pretty good BS detector. You can tell if someone is just parroting things they saw on a television show, one of which he's appeared on himself, finding Bigfoot on Animal Planet. He listens to them, putting more trust in those who, like himself, aren't quite sure about what they experience and have skepticism. The idea of a Bigfoot is awesome, an elusive, huge, hairy creature evading people for millennium, Sherman said. Will I ever find it? I don't know. The idea across cultures, a wild man is fascinating. So Sherman leads, or follows, other like-minded individuals into the woods, most often in the Upper Peninsula. He won't disclose an exact location for fear of a stampede of tourists ruining it. Like a favorite... That. What's that? I get that. Yep. Like a favorite fishing spot, it's a secret, he says. Yeah, I know something about fishing spots. On those expeditions, he uses audio recordings and teaches others to identify common woodland noises such as the sounds made by owls, martens, porcupines, and more. He shows people how to cast a footprint they discover without tainting it. The evidence is scant, and he's frustrated when good video and photos can't be obtained, as he hopes to one day capture something like the Patterson-Gimlin film. The famous one-minute footage shot in 1967 in Northern California of what the filmmakers claim was a Sasquatch or Bigfoot, and probably one of the most famous mm -hmm. bits of footage, too. To date, his most convincing personal piece of evidence, apart from the experience in the tent as a child, has been scary growling and howling he has heard and could not identify to anything known to him. And on multiple occasions in the Upper Peninsula, seeing a single red eye at the height of about seven feet, which fled when approached. It's a dumb thing to think there's something that can elude all the cameras, game cameras and everything, but look at all the witness accounts, Sherman said. But it's worth having fun. Honestly, it's such a more healthy hobby. At this point, I could have a midlife crisis and grow a mullet or ride a motorcycle. <laughs> Instead, I have this silly hobby, and it's like a wilderness CSI kind of thing. I've had a lot of weird experiences. It keeps me coming back and looking for more. I like your attitude. Yep. <laughs> could be worse. I could be sitting in front of the television watching TV and not doing anything. Yep. Instead, I'm out in the woods hunting Bigfoot and camping and having a good time. More power to him. Yep, yep. Okay, so next I'm going to tell a story about a... Uh, this is actually released two years ago in 2019 on June 5th uh, from the FBI. It's a file that reveals the strange story of a monster hunter and 15 mysterious hares. So the U.S. government released Bigfoot's FBI file yesterday, uh, on June 5th. 
It contains a few news clippings and some formal letters to and from a monster hunter in the 70s, leading to an examination of 15 hairs and some skin the hunter believed came from a Bigfoot. It appears that Peter Byrne, the, that monster hunter who wrote the uh, FBI, uh, sorry, let me start over. It appears that Peter Byrne, that monster hunter, first wrote to the FBI on August 26, 1976. His note printed on fancy letterhead reading the Bigfoot Information Center and Exhibition suggested that the FBI was in possession of flesh and hair belonging to a mysterious creature possibly belonging to a Bigfoot. Gentlemen, Byrne wrote, will you kindly, to set the record straight once and for all, inform us if the FBI has examined hair which might be that of a Bigfoot. When this took place, if it did take place, what the results of the analysis were. He didn't indicate why he's... His, oh, boy, I can't talk, sorry. He didn't indicate why he suspected the FBI might have done such an analysis, only that from time to time we have been informed that hair supposedly of a Bigfoot has been examined by the FBI, and with the conclusion, as a report of the examination, that it was not possible to compare the hair with that of any known creature on this continent. Byrne appears to have been concerned that the agency wouldn't take the Bigfoot Information Center seriously. Please understand that our research here is serious, he wrote, that this is a serious question that needs answering. He also assured the agency that they needn't worry about him, uh, his implying their involvement in his work. An examination of hair, or the opposite, but the FBI does not in any way, as far as we are concerned, suggested that the FBI is associated, that's a hard sentence, I'm sorry, let me try that again. <laughs> An examination of hair, or the opposite, but the FBI does not in any way, as far as we are concerned, suggest that the FBI is associated with our project or confirms in any way that the possibility of the existence of the creature or creatures known as Bigfoot, he wrote. Assistant FBI Director of the Agency's Laboratory Division, Jay Cochran Jr., replied two weeks later on September 10, 1976. Since the publication of the Washington Environmental Atlas in 1975, which referred to such examinations, we have received several inquiries similar to yours, he wrote. However, we have been unable to locate any references to such examinations in our files. More than two months later, on November 24, 1976, Byrne replied, Perhaps emboldened by the earlier response, he asked not for information, but for a favor. Briefly, we do not often come across hair which we are unable to identify, and the hair that we have now, about 15 hairs attached to a tiny piece of skin, is the first that we have obtained in six years, which we feel may be of importance, he wrote. He asked if Cochrane could possibly arrange for a comparative analysis of the tissue to determine its origin. At the time all this was going on, Bigfoot was in the news. Byrne had been searching for the creature for five years, supported by the Academy of Applied Sciences, a small institution in Boston that, according to a document in the file, also sponsored hunts for the Loch Ness Monster. The New York Times had profiled the 50-year-old Byrne's adventure on June of 1976, calling him a former professional hunter in Nepal who switched from tiger shooting and yeti hunting to tiger conservation and Bigfoot hunting. Most Bigfoot sightings are eventually discounted as insubstantial or fake, the New York Times wrote, but a handful hold up and are given high credibility. So far, Mr. Byrne, though, he has been never, though he's never seen a Bigfoot himself, 
has collected the details of 94 reported sightings that seem believable. There are, are many more reports of tracks. The paper recounted several of those supposedly more credible sightings, and a clipping of that article was included in the FBI file. The next document in the file, in chronological order, was Cochrane's instruction to examine the Harris burn passed along. This does not represent a change in the Bureau policy. The memorandum included in the file states in an apparent effort to justify the decision. The laboratory, the, the, the blank laboratory branch, they didn't actually give the name, uh, has a history of making its unique services and expertise available to the Smithsonian Institution, other museums, universities, and government agencies in archaeological matters, and in the interest of research and legitimate scientific inquiry. Unfortunately for Bigfoot hunters, the results weren't what they may have hoped. In 1977, the lab examined the 15 hairs. A final letter from Cochrane addressed to Howard S. Curtis, Executive Vice President of the AAS, read like this. Dear Mr. Curtis, the hairs which you recently delivered to the FBI laboratory on behalf of the Bigfoot Information Center and Exhibition have been examined by transmitted and incident light microscope. Micro I cannot say the word, sorry about that. Microscopy. The examination included a study of morphological characteristics such as root structure, medullary structure, and cuticle thickness in addition to scale casts. Also, the hairs were compared directly with hairs of known origin under a comparison microscope. It was concluded as a result of these examinations that the hairs are of a deer family origin. The hair sample you submitted is being returned as an enclosure to this letter. Jay Cochran, Jr., Assistant Director, FBI, Scientific and Technical Services Division. Curtis replied on March 8th, thanking Cochran and saying he'd pass the news on to Byrne when the monster hunter returned from Nepal. And that's that story. Okay, okay. So, turned out to be there, according to the FBI. According to the FBI. The processing of commercial information is complete. Back to the show. Well, I found a two-part thing. Okay. From Ashland, Colorado. Because, you know, Ashland's everywhere anymore. Yeah. Um, so the first one is, oh, sorry, I rearranged myself. There you go. A 20-year-old woman walked out of the warehouse 24-hour, uh-huh, warehouse 24-hour gym around midnight. I see we're both having the same problem tonight. Mm-hmm with her workout being complete. She turned right and headed to her car in a well-lit parking lot. There were no other vehicles in the, in the side lot and the, at, sorry, at the, the lot side of the building, and the building had been opened since 2018. So she was reportedly not alone in the cool spring night on April 24th, 2021. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the woman heard a, a twig snap looked and saw a creature, seven or eight feet tall, covered in gray fur, racing back to woods about 30 yards away. It was too far, too large, and likely several hundred pounds, and moved too quickly to be a man. She believed. Shaking into tears, she called her parents from a nearby restaurant, asking them to please come drive her home. She likely encountered a Sasquatch, according to the national, nationally acclaimed Bigfoot investigator Matthew Moneymaker, who has devoted most of his life to the pursuit of the mysterious creature including a national cable TV show, Finding Bigfoot. Moneymaker, a California resident who founded the Bigfoot Field Research Organization in 95, we talked about that one, um, 
filed report number 69065 on his website. Her report. There are plans to visit her in person and get more information and research location citing outside gym at 1151 Commerce Parkway in City D side. Unfortunately, Moneymaker says some of the women's friends and coworkers learned of her experience throughout the, the website and made light of her claim. She and her father asked for an interview removed from the, the report with a request to which Moneymaker complied. She isn't interested in further participation. She isn't backing off what she claimed to saw. She stands at what she saw and, and so do her parents. <clears throat> She's a young woman doesn't want people who may be ignorant to make fun of her. This is not a hoax, okay? But a second possible Sasquatch sighting was reported in the same area um, within, let's see, it says here, 51-year-old Ashland County man freely professes an in interest in Sasquatch phenomenon, but with more than two decades of work, sorry, two decades of work in law enforcement business, he also knows something on June 9th, so a few weeks away, mm -hmm. I can't really easily explain. It's a second viewing within just a few miles. No one, including the second observer, can say it for certain. But I try to play it away, and I can't, said the man on Friday from his home in North US 30. All the years I've lived here, I've never seen anything like it. Here's how he described it, including the report filed July 6th with the National Sasquatch Guru of, of VFRO, Matthew Moneymaker. After a 90-minute summer afternoon rain, the man, who asked his name not to be used in the story, was aboard his riding lawnmower when he saw something near the tree line next to his recently planted soybean field, across 250 yards away. A large, all-black figure, walking upright, immersed in the tree line, walking diagonally in the northeast direction across the bean field, and disappeared into another wooded area. Stunned, the man stopped his mower and just watched. He had no way to record what he was seeing. It had been raining hard right before I mowed. Normally I keep my phone in my pocket, but I didn't want to have it with me and keep started raining again. It happened so quickly, there would have been no way for me to, to get back into the house and grab it, and it would be gone. As the creature walked, the man drove his mower about 35 yards closer to the edge of the bean field, to get, but was unable to get closer. At that point, the figure was just east of the, of the trail cam, and I was hoping it would cross in front of the camera, but stayed north of it, following a deer trail. The whole time I was thinking, no one's going to believe me. The man said the dark figure crossed the field about 90 seconds without any trouble, disappearing to chest high weeds and then into the tree line. He worked for several minutes to see if the figure would emerge again, but it never did. Deep impressions, sorry, deep depressions in the terrain also provide cover. The man pointed out some could literally park a truck in one of these and that they would not be visible from his property. I scanned the tree line for any vehicles that might be there from someone walking and there weren't any. I could not figure out how how or what I had seen, finished mowing, he didn't even tell my wife until a few days later. He initially wondered if a neighbor was checking his nearby trail cam, or perhaps a mushroom hunter. Subsequent checks of the neighbors found out there was neither of those cases. Who would have been out after that pouring rain, all dressed in black, the man asked. He searched the field for footprints, found them. Later found a, found a photograph two large impressions close by a nearby creek that could be footprints, including the indentations. It was hard to tell. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's cool. <laughs> For lack of a better word. Um, but you know what CNN has to say, right? Uh-oh. Bigfoot's getting nervous. Uh-oh. Let's find out why. 
Monster stories have been around for millennia, and just about every state has its own creature. Now, monster hunters are not are hot on the trail, armed with cameras, drones, and night vision goggles. Can they catch one? Rachel Gendro was driving on a deserted rural road on October night when she decided to take a shortcut through a patch of thick woods. There was a full moon that night, and the road was ringed with an eerie glow. As Goudreau chatted with her fiancé, she squinted into the darkness ahead and saw something strange. A massive wolf-like creature was standing upright on the road, so it might have been a dogman, staring at her with shimmering white eyes. As Goudreau drew closer, the creature leaped from the road and bounded into the woods. What the hell was that, Goudreau sputtered. Did you see it? I don't know what it was, but it had dog legs, said her fiancé. Goudreau looked in the rearview mirror and had another scare. The beast had circled behind her car in a flash and was watching her again with these glittering white eyes as she and her fiancé sped away. Goudreau didn't know it at the time, but she had spotted the Wolfman of Chestnut Mountain, an elusive creature that people had sighted in rural Illinois for years. You may not have heard of the Wolfman, but chances are there's some strange creature lurking near you, and a group of monster hunters is hot on its trail. America may have divided by red and blue states, but virtually every state is a monster state. Just as each has its own flag, most have an unusual creature people have been claiming to see for years. Bigfoot is the most well-known, but thousands of people say they've seen all kinds of wolfmen, prehistoric birds, giant bats, and bizarre creatures living among us. In this United States of Monsters, <laughs> nice title, I like that, some creatures have been sighted so often that they become virtual celebrities. There's the Jersey Devil, a creature so real that police with bloodhounds reportedly once tried to corner it. The Dover Demon, a Massachusetts monster that climbs walls like an insect and has an egg-shaped head. And the Mothman, a huge winged creature with red eyes that has supposedly chased terrified drivers in West Virginia. Monsters are so hot that they've spawned their own subculture. Cable shows such as Mountain Monsters and Monsters and Mysteries in America draw big audiences. Monster investigators hold national conventions and Sasquatch festivals. And eyewitnesses meet online to swap shaky, blurry videos of monster sightings and swap monster hunting tips. Monsters have become so popular that they've even become sex symbols. Monster erotica is, now, is a new book genre. People are self-publishing stories about creatures kidnapping and ravishing women with titles such as Moan for Bigfoot and The Horny Werewolf. Seriously, no hoax. <laughs> it all may sound new and bizarre, but people have been swapping stories about monsters since prehistoric man drew pictures of them on cave walls. Greek mythology gave us the fierce Medusa, whose frightening visage turned men into stone. The Bible gave us the massive sea creature called the Leviathan in Job and the beast with seven heads and ten horns in the book of Revelation. Hinduism gave us the Makara, a legendary sea monster. The list goes on. People like a good scare, says Linda S. Godfrey, author of American Monsters. Love her. she got some good stuff. Uh, which featured Goudreau's Wolfman sighting. People have been telling campfire stories forever. We like to know that there's something out there bigger than us. But why are so many Americans getting into, into monsters now? Some suggest it's a rebellion against modern life. There are no more uncharted regions of the globe marked by the Declaration. Here, well, I did it again. Let me start over. Sorry. 
There are no more uncharted regions of the globe marked by the declaration, here there be monsters. In the sprawling samus of the global village, everything looks the same. People go to the same chain restaurants, listen to the same pop music, and wear the same jeans. Monster hunters are some of the last romantics. They believe there's still magic and mystery out there, says Rob Morphy, an artist who has collected accounts of monster sightings at American Monsters since 2000. We live in a time when even though the world has been Google Earth to death and GPS to the infinitesimal point, there are rarely large stretches of land, I'm sorry, there are really large stretches of land that have not been explored in thousands of miles of ocean that no human being has set foot in. Murphy says extraordinary discoveries await us. History uh, backs Murphy up, Murphy up. It's Murphy, sorry, not, Mor not Murphy. Murphy. Monster hunters may seem flaky to some, but there's historical precedent for their passion. Mythical creatures have been discovered before as have animals thought to be extinct. The giant squid as a sea legend until one was caught in, on film in 2006. The coelacanth, an armor-plated fish, was thought to have gone extinct 66 million years ago, but was discovered by a museum curator, curator in 1938 in South Africa. Excuse me. I readjust the dentures there. Someone even found an earlier version of Bigfoot. For centuries, European explorers returning from Africa told stories of massive man-beasts that were covered with hair and had immense strength. One of them then discovered the man-beast in the early 20th century. We now know it as the mountain gorilla. Many monster hunters don't even like the term. Some prefer to call themselves cryptid investigators, a term taken from the fledgling field of cryptozoology, the study of animals thought to be extinct or mythological. There's a good chance that we call monsters. Uh, there's a good chance that what we call monsters are actually unknown and unidentified natural creatures that have learned to be very elusive, Godfrey says. The people who see these monsters cross all demographics, she says. They're police officers, businessmen, housewives, doctors, the lot, basically. They often remain silent because they're traumatized or don't want to be ridiculed. Their color completely drops and they turn completely white as they relive the story, she says. They cry. Their hands are shaking. You can tell that they're reliving something that's very real to them. John Bolden, uh, the owner of a light fixture company in Minnesota, is one of those people. He's still bewildered by something he saw on a sunny summer day nine years ago. He was biking on a deserted road near Webb Lake in north Wisconsin when he spotted an, animal, an unusual bird in a field. He hopped off his bike and crept into the field to get a closer look. He says he saw something that looked like a prehistoric bird. It stood about seven feet tall and had an immense stork-like beak and was covered with silver-gray feathers. It took off when it noticed him, he says. I got a little frightened, Bolton says. It was unbelievable. Un oh, boy. <laughs> it's going to be one of those nights. Sorry, folks. It was unbelievably huge, not something you want to mess with. Bolden returned home and went online searching for large birds. He couldn't find anything that matched what he saw. An evangelical Christian, he says the experience challenged his faith. Was the bird a demon or a prehistoric animal? Some conservative Christians don't believe dinosaurs ever existed. He says he had never read much before about Bigfoot or other monster sightings. He was too busy running his business. That kind of stuff I didn't have time for, he says. I barely knew about it. He tried to forget the experience as the years passed, but he gave Godfrey a call one day after hearing her on the radio. She later featured his story in American Monsters. Uh, 
It doesn't leave me, he says of his experience. It's bothersome because there's no explanation for it. It doesn't make any sense at all. It would have been easier if I had never seen it. Some people, though, envy Bolden. They want to see a monster, and they're willing to tramp into the woods at all hours of the night to find one. Monster hunting used to be strictly old school. Some excited hunters snapped shots of mysterious footprints or squeezed off a blurry photo of an animal moving in the tree line. Yet Bigfoot always seemed to be one step ahead. Nobody could seem to grab him. Now Bigfoot should be getting nervous. Monster hunters are upping their game. They're using night vision equipment, sophisticated listening devices, camera traps activated by motion sensors, and even drones that fly over rugged forests inaccessible to human beings. The high-tech evolution of monster hunting has been championed by television. Cable TV is full of monster documentaries and reality shows depicting grizzled men in camouflage stumbling through the woods with night vision goggles while blurting out, Did you hear that? One cable network has become Monster Central. Destination America offers five monster hunting shows, Mountain Monsters, Monsters and Mystery in America, Monsters Underground, Swamp Monsters, and the latest Alaska Monsters, which premiered in September. We leave no monster unturned, says Mark Etkind, Destination America's general manager and the man who helped bring monsters to the network. Monsters are starting to pitch us, he joked. The network's most popular show is Mountain Monsters, which features a group of elite hunters in the Appalachians wearing overalls and sporting ZZ Top beers. I've watched this while tracking down legendary beasts such as the Fire Dragon and Hogzilla. The first episode of Mountain Monsters was the most popular telecast in the network's history, and the series has been renewed for a second season. We're always finding evidence, but we haven't found that one crucial clue, Etkin says. We haven't caught a monster in a trap. Yet. That yet, however, is why so many people are skeptical about the monster hunting business. There's always a yet or a but with monster hunting. There have been many stories of monster hunters catching something, but so far they've always turned out to be a hoax. 2012, for example, scientists at Oxford University and the Lucerne Museum of Zoology in Switzerland examined hair samples submitted by people from around the globe who claimed to have stalked Bigfoot. Bigfoot apparently likes to travel. Variations of Bigfoot-like creatures or hairy hominids have been spotted around the globe for years. In Australia, they call a giant ape-like creature the Yowie, in the Himalayas, it's called Yeti or the Abominable Snowman. And in the Pacific Northwest, some call it Sasquatch. Some scientists, though, still call this creature a hoax. Using DNA sequencing, the scientists at Oxford and the Lucerne Museum return the results. All the Bigfoot samples came from animals such as bears, wolves, and raccoons. Still, though, there's one piece of monster evidence that stands above the rest. On October 20, 1967, here we go, Roger Pattison and Robert Gimlin were riding their horses in Bluff Creek, a wooded area in Northern California, when they said they came upon an ape-like creature. The creature started to flee, but Patterson said he managed to film it before it disappeared into the brush. The wobbly film doesn't last a minute, but it is captivating. It has the look of an old home movie, except it's of a massive ape-like creature walking in a forest clearing in the sunlight. The creature looks over its shoulder at the camera, as if it's annoyed to be filmed. The Patterson-Gimlin film has been dissected seemingly as much as the Zapruder film of Kennedy's assassination. Yeah, it has. Mm -hmm. Patterson insisted the film was real up until his death from cancer in 1972, but some scientists say the figure in the film was a person wearing an ape suit. I've looked at the film and I seriously doubt that. 
you can see the musculature under the fur. And I don't think they could make that back in 67. Anyway, others using computers to examine the gait of the creature say it was non-human and that no special effects in 1967 could have created an ape-like creature that natural looking. Virtually every monster hunter dreams of capturing footage like Patterson's. The film still inspires investigators, says Morphe of American Monsters. There's been no official debunking, Morphe says. I can't guarantee it was not a hoax, but if it was a hoax, it was the finest crafted hoax. Science, though, won't ultimately explain why we continue to see monsters, but psychology can help, says L. Andrew Cooper, co-author of Monsters, and a film studies professor at the University of Louisiana in Kentucky. The reason people see monsters isn't just about what's out there in the woods, it's about what's inside people, Cooper says. Monster sightings surface in certain locations and at certain times because they reflect local anxieties, he says. He cites stories about Chupacabra or Goatsucker, a hairless dog-like creature that purportedly roams the border between the United States and Mexico. The idea of a Chupacabra as a supernatural force crossing the border between Mexico and the U.S. seems to me a way to look at our anxieties about immigration. Yeah, pregnant pause here on my part. It just sounds kind of silly. The political brew in another country may have spawned one of the most famous monster sightings in history, the Loch Ness Monster. People had reported seeing an ancient serpent-like creature in a Scottish lake long before a man snapped a blurry photo of it in 1934. The photo came at a time of resurgent Scottish nationalism, Cooper says. The Scottish National Party had emerged and Scotland was rethinking its history and national identity. Voila, the emergence of an ancient, distinctly Scottish creature that became a symbol of Scotland through the world, Cooper says. People who see monsters are not just driven by nationalism or politics, he says, but something even, di even deeper, religious faith. Monsters are a miracle, Cooper says. They stand outside the natural order. Evidence of something that defies what science calls the natural order is also potentially evidence for miracles. If you have evidence for miracles, you have evidence for God. Goudreau, the woman who says the encounter Goudreau, the woman who says she encountered the Wolfman of Chestnut Mountain that night in Illinois, isn't ready to call what she saw a miracle. At first it seemed like a curse. It caught us off guard, she said. It kind of ruined the evening. She says the experience disturbed her for a long time. At one point she couldn't even take her dog out at night for a walk because she lived near a wooded area. She still think she still thinks about it at times when she's out with her dog. It was so hard for me to wrap my mind around it, says Goudreau, who has a doctorate in behavioral psychology. You go, there's a logical explanation, but after dissecting it, you say, maybe I'm just crazy, she says laughing. Now Goudreau views her experience as something else, a gift. It allows me to be open-minded, she says. There's a lot of mystery in this world, and if you're open to it, you'll see it. But then she quickly adds, I'd rather not go through that process again. It was creepy can't say I blame her. Get that completely. <laughs> so I have here that Oklahoma, because Oklahoma, is nearing open season on Bigfoot for hunting. Really? This is from January this year. Okay. Oklahoma's, um, first let's assemble facts. An Oklahoma legislator has filed a bill to establish Bigfoot hunting season in the state. Oklahoma State Rep Representative Justin Humphrey, uh, Republican of Wayne County, 
says his, uh, sorry, Lane District says his district is in the southeast corner of the state, needs tourism, tourism and income that would accompany the hunting season. So they're doing it because of money. Why else would a lawmaker make it legal to hunt a Bigfoot? Yep. Uh, Oklahoma Wildlife Conservation Division would establish rules for the season to set license practices, sorry, prices. There ain't no Bigfoots in Oklahoma or anywhere else, someone else says. So how do I know these things? Well, besides the obvious reason that any self-respecting Bigfoot, once he figures out he's in Oklahoma, would run like hell for the Red River and swim, or wade, or hitch a ride on any 18-wheeler to pick him up and take him anywhere to, like, oh, Texas. If he came to Texas, he'd be safe there, with only a few mouth- <laughs> With only a few mouthbeaters down Liberty and Beaumont who still are hunting Sasquatch in the, in the big ticket country. This is what this is saying here. Yeah. Not me. Uh, it's okay. That's um, what we're doing tonight. We're reading articles because we had a snafu. Yep. <laughs> quote, wait, end quote. Is that a Sasquatch I hear? If it is, that's laughing clowns all the way for chasing, despite the shows like Discovery Channel, National Geographic, and other channels who have enough money to pour down the Bigfoot hole. A third incredible picture or movie to shred the, sorry, or shredded hunter's carcass to introduce the evidence that the creatures actually existed. So this whole thing is being spun. Southern Oklahoma to raise money to bring in for tourists there, but in hopes of inspiring Texas to get off their duff and, and hunt it back towards them. Because Texas Bigfoot Society meetings and even speakers there are trying to play down the blurry videos and and make it go from there. So Sounds like a big revenue scheme to me. Yes, it sounds like a pyramid scheme. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that anyway. So I keep treating over my mouth. Ugh. Yeah, anything more on that, or is that it? Not really. This is just the, the, the more of the, the uh, we're going to dissect the videos we have from the 60s, and, and, and they're not believers at all. Right. Okay. All right, my turn. I'm going to let Tracy rest her jaw for a minute here. <laughs> since uh, Since she got no teeth at the moment, and her jaw is kind of adjusting to that, you know. We're going to give her a break. Anyway, I found something on a site called Mountain Outlaw. Uh, this is written by Ed North Theralt. It says, call it Yeti, Wendigo, Chuchuna, or Sasquatch. You'd better believe there are believers. Something's killing the deer in Patty Canyon near Missoula, Montana. And that something is doing some crazy things with their bones. The southeast corner of the Missoula Valley is teeming with whitetails and the old muley. And they do share the habitat with a few predators, from mountain lions and coyotes to the occasional wolf. Black bears also roam the forest of the canyon, but they're highly unlikely to kill an adult deer. And Paddy Canyon is quite a ways from Mount Montana's grizzly recovery zones. Brian Duke Sullivan claims to have seen evidence of predatory behavior that has never been displayed by the animals known to live in the area. There's only one explanation, he complains. Or he, he claims, sorry. What do you think it is? Bigfoot! Of course, it's Bigfoot. Sullivan, a slender, bespectacled Minnesota native who established the Facebook group the Montana Bigfoot Project, stumbled upon a puzzling site a few years ago in his part of the Lolo National Forest that's drawn keen interest from Sasquatch hunters. 
For years, Bigfoot researchers have discovered lodgepole pine and other small trees bent over for no apparent reason, or yanked from the ground or broken off and stacked in crisscross patterns. Sullivan and other Bigfoot buffs believe these arrangements serve as a kind of communication between the mythical creatures, either marking their territory or sending some other kind of message or warning. It could be, he says, simply a sign to identify their clan. What Sullivan witnessed a few years ago in those woods, however, sparked a new set of possibilities for the inveterate Bigfoot hunter. He spotted an animal skeleton arranged on a tree limb 14 feet off the ground. There was no meat on the bones when I found it, he reported. It must be a marker of some kind. There's no reason for anything to put it there. Sullivan is convinced that the Sasquatch population thought by some to live in Paddy Canyon are living off deer and apparently using their bones to communicate with other Bigfoots or Big Feet. If you see one, he warned, it might be the last thing you ever do see. In 1976, the FBI investigated. Spurned by a letter and hair samples from Peter Cochran, director of the Bigfoot, which we've already talked about here. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. The FBI officials took to the lab. No conclusive evidence that it was a Bigfoot, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, over the last 50 years, more than 10,000 Bigfoot sightings have been reported in the U.S., one-third of them coming from Oregon. Long-considered prime Sasquatch country for its dense, heavily forested terrain, and a relatively sparse human population. But sightings have been reported all over. In 2018, Marion, North Carolina, population 7,800, named Bigfoot the town's official animal, and its third annual, at its, sorry, and its third annual WNC Bigfoot Festival is scheduled for September 2020. More than 70,000 believers attended the first two events. Bigfoot has faded from the headlines recently, the occasional beef jerky or car insurance commercial notwithstanding. But every couple of years or so, there's many frenzy over a sighting. A series of photos captured in January 2020 by a Washington State Department of Transportation Highway cam depicted a large humanoid creature apparently strutting across a snowbank above Highway 20. Turns out it was a plywood cutout painted black and fastened to a tree. Okay. I've actually seen pictures like that where they say it claim it's Bigfoot, but you look at it and you can tell that it's distinctly a cutout. Mm -hmm. It's a dark figure. Um, and the cuts, you know, you see the fur and everything, and it just doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. And then you realize you're looking at a flat panel. Yeah. So that's that. When nearly every square mile of land on the planet has been photographed, mapped, measured, and scrutinized, is it possible that an entire species of ape like creatures escaped detection? Hannah Davenport thinks so. As good scientists, Davenport says, as people who are conducting good and true science, we need to work at proving that something doesn't exist in order to prove that it does. I'm pretty sure that's how we prove black holes are real, by working to prove they, that they weren't real. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Davenport received her degree from Montana State University in Archaeological Zoology, and her interest in Bigfoot research was encouraged by another scientist, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, a foot morphology expert from Pocatello, Idaho. Jeff is great in that he is openly doing research in a university capacity, and he's starting to draw a little bit of attention because it pulls that stigma away. There are so many scientists not giving out funding to scientists who want to do research on Bigfoot, where they're not letting articles get published in academic journals because they don't think it's worthwhile. 
It's just unfortunate because as scientists, we're trying to be objective. A self-professed Bigfoot nerd, Davenport grew up in Wisconsin where she had a first-hand encounter with the creature, but kept it to herself for years. I had a sighting when I was in high school, and I didn't tell anybody about it until I was in my 20s because I was so afraid that people would think that, it was, that I was lying or that I was doing it for attention. When she finally told her family about her experience, her grandfather confessed that he, too, had seen a Bigfoot when he was a young man and had kept a secret for decades. He never talked about it, Davenport says, because he was very much of a generation where you don't talk about it, you don't bring it up. I can understand that. Uh, Pete Wilson is happy to bring it up. After moving to Montana and founding Sasquatch Watch of Montana in 2012, Wilson was dedicated, has dedicated much of his time to following up on reports of Bigfoot sightings throughout the state. And he found his own Bigfoot hotspot in Montana. I did quite a bit of research time on the Fort Peck Indian Reservation and spent a few years investigating in Poplar. The town of Fraser, located in the southeast corner of the reservation, was also the site of multiple reports. Wilson dutiful, dutifully followed up on ultimately Wilson dutifully followed up, but ultimately came up empty-handed. Nothing was found, but I had an interesting conversation with a ranch hand in the area, he said. Wilson declined to reveal the subject of the paranormal activity, another of his interests. While the number of Bigfoot reports is dwindling in Montana, Wilson says the creature is just really good at hiding. Normally, they're curious about humans, but prefer to keep their distance, he said. They'll know you're there long before you know they're around. Wilson has heard three tree limbs being knocked together deep in the woods, has heard tree limbs, not three, just tree limbs in general. Sorry about that. And had rocks thrown at him from an unseen creature. He adds that Sasquatches are nocturnal, mostly active between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m., although many sightings have them reported outside the suddenly specific window. <coughs> Excuse me. Once in a while, a Bigfoot story generates headlines in Montana, illustrating the bizarre fascination we continue to have for the elusive cryptid. In December 2018, a man reported to the Lewis and Clark County Sheriff that a hunter who claimed to have mistaken him for a Bigfoot took shots at him. Oh, great. The victim confronted the shooter who suggested that the man wear hunter orange if he's going to be in the woods. Yeah, that makes sense. Sensible precaution. Another even more shocking story made national headlines in 2012. Randy Lee Tenley of Kalispell was killed after being struck by two cars on U.S. Highway 93. He was wearing a ghillie suit. You know what a ghillie suit is? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, it's a fringed camouflage covering uh, favored by snipers. It yeah. kind of and the browns and greens kind of, and, and meant to, to blend into Reeves bump. Yeah, it's got strands hanging all over it. It kind of yep. looks like hair if you see somebody stand up in it, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, Tenley had been attempting to generate rumors of a Sasquatch sighting, reportedly standing in the road when he was struck in quick succession by two vehicles, each driven by a teenage girl. Not surprisingly, alcohol may have been a factor in the accident, news reports read. Now the question is, who, who was drinking? Yes, I, th I think it was the guy in the ghillie suit. Probably. <laughs> Although most of 2020's Bigfoot conventions were canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic, dozens of conferences sell out across the country every year, a clear sign that interest in the mysterious giant primate that leaves behind nothing but ginormous footprints and powerful B.O. isn't going to wane anytime soon. Sightings go up in summer when more people are in the woods tramping through the Sasquatch territory, which coincidentally is considered to be exactly the same as bear habitat. Researchers like Hannah Davenport will continue to boil down hard data 
that may one day reveal a new species, while investigators like Pete Wilson keep following up on stories about sightings and encounters in Montana. As for the rest of us, well, next time we go for a hike, we might leave the beef jerky locked in the car. <laughs> Well, folks, I think we've come to the end of another show. Uh, once again, I wanted to uh, thank everybody for listening tonight. And uh, we're sorry Earl Mangrum couldn't come on tonight, but we do intend to have him back on again. Uh, we will reschedule, and uh, hopefully you'll get to hear what he has to say. Anyway, that's going to do it for tonight, as I said. Uh, as uh, for Adriana and Tracy and myself... We just want to wish you all a good night. Hope you stay happy, stay safe, make good choices. You know, the usual stuff. Anyway, time to go. Cue the gremlin. What in the Podcast is a part of the What in the Podcast network and is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other great podcast formats. You can find us on Facebook at the What in the Podcast Facebook group. If you have a great story idea or have a personal paranormal event that you want to share with us, email us at whatinthepodcast at gmail.com with your story, or you can leave us a voice message by clicking the link in the episode description. If you like what you're hearing, please don't forget to leave us a review and rate us five stars. It doesn't seem like much, but it helps us more than you can imagine. What in the Podcast is also made possible thanks to our sponsors and listeners like you. Thanks for listening.